0: everybody. This is Dr. Eeks and welcome to this episode of Causes or Cures. Happy New Year, everybody. It's a new year, 2022. Um, I think this could be the year we get out of this pandemic and then we have to start talking about all those other public health things that we've been ignoring um, because of COVID-19. Some of those things are like, gosh the opioid epidemic which has gotten worse the obesity epidemic which has gotten worse um we're gonna have a lot on our plate the whole kitchen sink interestingly enough speaking of getting out of this pandemic today's topic is about a drug that might do just that i'm talking about fluvoxamine and there's a couple reasons well there's a lot of reasons why this drug might get us out of the pandemic number one The evidence looks good. The evidence includes randomized controlled trials. This is for early treatment, early treatment of COVID-19. What else? It's cheap. It's generic. You take it as a pill. It's easy, cheap and easy, and it works. That's something that can be scaled up anywhere, not just here in the U.S. And, you know, we have a lot compared to other countries, but other countries too. So all those things that are working for it, that could be a game changer, um, yeah. Just think about that for a minute. Now, fluvoxamine, you might know it as an antidepressant. That's what it's categorized as. But uh, somebody on Twitter, when I was talking about fluvoxamine, she's like, "Why would you give an antidepressant to COVID patients? Why they don't need to be happy?" You know, or, uh, people were confused. I think no. So this drug was tested in trials as early treatment for COVID-19, not for depression in COVID-19 patients. And that's okay because it can be confusing, but we're talking about a drug that's been around a, been around a while that's being repurposed and used as drugs often are, um, we, you know, off-label or whatever, um, for this particular purpose. So it looks good. It looks good right now. My guest today is Dr. Eric Lenz. He is at Washington University School of Medicine. He is a psychiatrist, and he's also a clinical trialist. He ran one of the trials on fluvoxamine for COVID-19 as early treatment. It was published in JAMA. The title of the paper is Fluvoxamine versus Placebo and Clinical Deterioration in Outpatients with Symptomatic COVID-19. So that's people at home who have symptoms of COVID-19. Those are the people who were getting the fluvoxamine, the medicine to take. There was recently, because the evidence looks so good, there was an EUA, emergency use authorization application submitted to the FDA so that the FDA is going to analyze that and say, yes, you know, we recommend this for COVID-19, or no, we don't. Um, but if they do, think about you know, all those things going for it again. It could be a game changer. Dr. Lentz is going to talk about fluvoxamine. What is it? How does it work? What made you think to test this drug, this antidepressant drug for COVID-19, huh? (laughs) Um, He's gonna talk about the results of his clinical trial, other clinical trials, dosing issues. How much should you take? When should you take it? Side effects, are there any? Issues with withdrawal. Lots of people get concerned about withdrawal, you know, getting off of antidepressants. Um, what, was there any issues there? And also, most importantly, what role he sees this drug playing in bringing an end to the pandemic? All right, guys. So let's connect to Dr. Eric Lentz. And you're, you're in Washington, right? Washington.
1: No, I'm in St. Louis
0: you're in st louis
1: we're named after president george washington
0: i did not know that (laughs) okay that was my airhead moment of the day
1: it's a common now it's a common issue
0: Uh, okay yeah i've
1: been telling people no i'm not in seattle all
0: right all right all right not in seattle um okay well at least it's a common issue i don't feel so bad um so let's see maybe, do you mind just starting out with an introduction, telling people a little bit about you and the work you do?
1: Yeah, so uh, like a lot of people prior to March of 2020, I uh, was not involved in COVID uh, research at all. In fact, I'm a geriatric psychiatrist. I usually do uh, studies in depression and uh, problems with uh, older adults' memory and thinking. Um, uh, But when uh, the pandemic struck uh, back in March of last year, a colleague who was actually a child psychiatrist approached me uh, asking uh, my opinion on whether uh, we could do what's called repurposing a drug. Uh, repurposing means taking an existing uh, drug uh, that was created for one purpose uh, and then testing it out for a totally different purpose. Uh, And I said, that seemed like a great idea. Uh, And the drug is fluvoxamine, which is a uncommonly used drug in the US. It's approved for obsessive compulsive disorder, uh, uh, commonly prescribed uh, in other parts of the world for depression. Uh, But because of certain, let's say, anti-inflammatory properties of it, uh, we thought it would be a drug that could help against COVID-19.
0: So can we um talk a little bit more about that because I was my I'm curious how did it come about well, let's try this antidepressant for covid nineteen like how did you know that it was known to have anti-inflammatory properties and you know what what sort of studies did you see or did you see something in patients?
1: well there was a uh, there was a study that was only just published in two thousand nineteen, so just months before the pandemic uh, struck. Uh, It was a study out of University of Virginia, study in mice, uh, where they tested fluvoxamine uh, because of a specific activity it has on something called the sigma one receptor, which uh, modulates or controls uh, inflammation. And they were able to show that, uh, that in mice that could actually reduce morbidity and mortality in sepsis. Now, sepsis is a situation where because of like a bacterial infection or something like that, your body has this out of control immune response. And so it's really, you're, uh, you're, you're getting damaged and, or even dying from your own body's reaction to an infection. Um, and so their study showed that fluvoxamine was very helpful against that basically by uh, reducing this, uh, this very specific inflammatory action. Um, and you may remember back in the early part of the uh, pandemic uh, when it was described that a lot of people seemed to be getting sick and even dying uh, like in the second week of the illness uh, of COVID-19 illness um, after initially mild symptoms. Uh, And even as the virus was leaving their system, they were getting more sick and getting lung damage and ending up on a ventilator. And it was proposed that uh, this was probably the uh, result of the body's own immune system. In other words, uh, you can think of it as our immune system attacking us um, and uh, causing this damage. Uh, And so we put two and two together and said, you know, fluvoxamine may be a drug that could prevent that uh that effect and therefore if you give it early in covid people uh, be less likely to get sicker and sicker and end up hospitalized with you know respiratory deterioration and uh and needing a ventilator
0: has it um ever been tested in a trial or used in cases of sepsis in humans
1: not to my knowledge uh, okay. That study that I mentioned was, uh, as I said, just only published in two thousand
0: nineteen. So just today. in mice,
1: and for, just for in mice. Okay. It's a so- great question, though. Uh, or one of the things we hope is that the studies that have been done in COVID might uh, lead people to test fluvoxamine in other
0: yeah. uh,
1: in other models, like in sepsis.
0: So let's talk a little about the trial that you ran. Uh, out of Washington University, which is not in Seattle. <laughs> no, it
1: is not. It's in St. Louis, Missouri.
0: St. Louis, yeah. Missouri. Um, so, so yeah. So, can you talk a little bit about the specifics of that trial, the methods section? Who who yeah. was who was in it? Um, dosing? How for how long they were taking this for? That kind of thing.
1: Sure. So, uh, you know, in a very short order, I think it was just in. You know, my, my colleague emailed me on March 25th of 2020. By March 26th, we had a, a pro- protocol written out for a study. Uh, and by, I think, April 10th, we were starting to randomize people into the study. What we, uh, what we did was uh, what's called a randomized controlled trial, as your listeners probably are aware. It's uh, considered the uh, gold standard of evidence for uh, medical treatments where, where you're uh, testing a treatment against usually a placebo um, uh, to, to, to make sure that uh, if people are getting better, uh, that you can really attribute it to the treatment itself rather than some other reason like you know naturalist, uh, naturalistic improvement. Um, and we really felt it was important Uh, to test this study in that rigorous manner. So we designed a placebo-controlled study where people got either uh, 100 milligrams up to three times a day of fluvoxamine uh, for 15 days, or they got the same number of pills, but they were a placebo. And then recall, this was at a time that You know, uh, everything was shut down. Uh, We were a couple of psychiatrists doing this study. There was no way we were going to have direct access to COVID patients ourselves, right? So we uh, conducted this study as what's called a fully remote clinical trial, meaning there was never any face-to-face contact with participants. So we would identify people who had recently tested positive, identify them through the systems electronic health record. We'd reach out to them if they agreed to participate uh, and were eligible. uh, One of our staff would go to their house like the Domino's pizza delivery man and drop off study supplies, including medication at the door, call them on the phone, and then leave. So there was no face-to-face contact with these individuals. And then people would take the pills on their own and then uh, do the uh, study monitoring on their own. They'd monitor their uh, oxygen level with a pulse oximeter we gave them. uh, And then they would enter their symptoms uh, through email or through the phone uh, with us. And through that study, we were able to, in a a few months time, it wasn't a huge study. It was, you might call it like a pilot study uh, or a proof of concept study. Uh, We randomized 152 people uh, and of the 80 people we randomized to fluvoxamine, none of them developed uh, what we called clinical deterioration—that is, this drop in oxygen level in the blood, uh, uh, as well as uh, evidence of pneumonia—that uh, that was and still is part, you know, part of the core uh, reason why people get really sick from COVID. Uh, whereas uh, 8.3% of the people in the placebo group did. And while these were small numbers, it was still a statistically uh, significant difference, uh, meaning that there was only about a one out of 100 chance that the findings were a uh, uh, possibility that the findings were just pure chance. So we published these findings uh, in uh, the Journal of the AMA in November, there was a lot of attention to them, uh, to the findings uh, at the time, but the the scientific and medical community, while uh, interested in, in it, uh, was really uh, wanting a replication of the findings. And in other words, proving it in one trial, you can always say, well, you know, that sure, there's only one in a hundred chance, but it, we still think that that it could be a, a false positive. Let's see another trial. Um, um,
0: and there was another trial in Brazil. Yeah, th-
1: there, there have been a few more trials. Uh, it, interestingly, what, uh, in one of the more interesting, uh, uh, I guess, side aspects to this whole story, uh, immediately after our study was published, uh, a physician uh, at, a, um, at a racetrack in California in Northern California, who is facing a major occupational outbreak of COVID among the racetrack workers, uh, heard about the finding and feeling like he had no other options uh, with this huge outbreak he, he was dealing with, offered, uh, offered the, um, the workers who were testing positive uh, fluvoxamine. And a, a, a little over half of them agreed and a little less than half uh, said, no, thank you. Uh, and it turned out that what he found was exactly what we found. The people who got fluvoxamine uh, had uh, uh, stabilized and uh, uh, did okay in the long run. Of the people who didn't get fluvoxamine, I think about 12% ended up hospitalized, uh, some on a ventilator, one person even uh, died. So he, they actually did publish that as a somewhat of a replication of our study. But of course, that wasn't a randomized a study. It was more like a a real world experiment. Although you know, again, it did show the same findings we did. But what happened at around that same time is that then some champions came in, uh, some people who were able to uh, provide funding so that uh, so that new larger clinical trials could be done, uh, and in particular the um, the uh, organization called. FAST Grants, which is a really nice name for an organization, FAST Grants, like who would want a slow grant anyway, uh, an organization called FAST Grants uh, created by uh, um, Tyler Cowen and Patrick Collison uh, started offering funding to any uh, clinical trial group who could uh, test and try to replicate the fluvoxamine findings. So. We applied for and did get some funding ourselves, but uh, unfortunately our, uh, the, our attempt at replicating uh, the, our own findings actually ended in the a, in a failure, what we call futility in our business. The, uh, we couldn't recruit enough people, especially once the vaccines uh, uh, started being used widely in this country. Uh, and uh, so we had to call a halt to that study in May. But fortunately, another group that was testing uh, treatments for COVID in Brazil uh, uh, and were able to conduct a very large study in a short time in Brazil, they also got funding and they were able to replicate our findings. Uh, and then they published those findings in uh, Lancet Global Health uh, uh, in the middle part of this year.
0: And um, can I uh, can I stop you there? Yeah, just please. Um, uh, no that, that that's all fascinating. um I wanted to ask you about the dosage. so in your trial, you used three hundred milligrams a day. We used
1: up to three hundred milligrams a day, but I have to say that it uh we found it was um it was uh not that common that people could get up to that dose i i think uh I, I think the using it three times a day was Difficult for people, so in subsequent studies, uh, we've uh, used 100 milligrams twice per day, and there's actually okay. a couple of ongoing clinical trials—one out of University of Minnesota and one conducted by right. NIH—that are testing lower doses, right? 50 milligrams twice a day,
0: right? And then the Together trial used 200 milligrams.
1: Yeah. That was the trial out of Brazil. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they used a uh, hundred milligrams twice a day or 200 milligrams a day for 10 days. Okay. Um,
0: and then the COVID out trial, which is, which is one of the ones you mentioned, they're using 50 milligrams,
1: 50 milligrams okay. so, twice a day.
0: So are you worried at all that, you know, there's, they're going to go too low or is there like a magic number here in terms of milligrams?
1: You know, uh, we, we, we don't know. Right. Uh, yeah. it, and I think probably most people who, uh, you know, get medications, a prescription for a medication for a certain dose probably make the assumption that whatever that medicine is, that that dose is just right for them. And sometimes that is true, like with blood pressure medications, right? You, you, you take the medication and your blood pressure reduces to a certain amount and you say, well, that's great. It's lower, but it's not low enough yet. So increase the dose, you increase the dose and a few weeks later, your blood pressure is down to an acceptable number. And you're now taking the right dose of that medicine for you. Uh, but you, you know, with many medications, that's not really the case. Like wh- you know, the basis for like the dose of antidepressants that we take is uh, often based on conjecture. Uh, same is true for antibiotics as well. Like, why do you take a certain dose of penicillin or another antibiotic rather than, a, rather than a different dose? Why do you take it for like 10 days rather than seven or five? A lot of that is based, uh, based on you know, conjecture. Our our recommendation of the hundred milligrams twice a day is uh, based on uh, some you know number crunching we did about the the pharmacodynamics, which means how hard uh, or how robustly uh, fluvoxamine uh, activates the sigma one receptor. Uh, but it may well be that fifty milligrams twice a day is plenty good.
0: So we're hoping about- that
1: these new studies will clarify that,
0: clarify the dose riddle, maybe a little more, but at the higher doses, there were people experiencing some uncomfortable side effects.
1: Yeah. And I think that's, uh, that's a key point here. So fluvoxamine that uh, it's important to realize fluvoxamine is a very safe drug. One way to think about it is it's, it's not a drug that would be fatal, even in an, even in an overdose of the drug. Okay. So Um, this is one of the reasons why we chose this drug as an ideal drug to repurpose because its safety is so good and has such a long track record, but that's not the same thing as tolerability, right? Some, many drugs can be quite benign, not harmful, but still have side effects. Um, and so, you know, like think about like an antihistamine, for example, uh, which you take and it makes you sleepy or something like that. Um, and so fluvoxamine has some well-known side effects. It can, uh, it can disrupt your sleep, which is annoying. And it can also cause nausea, make you sick to your stomach, which is also annoying. Um, are, are these things dangerous? No, they're not dangerous, but they're annoying. And I think most people would uh, prefer to take a drug at a dose that's less likely to cause those problems
0: and this is also early treatment. So in terms of, ideally, I know people take drugs at different times and human nature, and we all start things, you know, different days, but ideally, when would you want somebody to start this drug? And also how long this, you, you guys studied, studied it for 10 days. Would that be basically what we're looking at? Someone would take this for 10 days
1: it's, it's a good question. We, we still, you know, the, the duration, how long to take it, 10 days, 15 days, is still a bit of a guesswork. Um, I think it, if I pieced a few different bits of information together, I would say uh, probably take it as soon, um, as soon as you have symptoms uh, of COVID uh, and possibly as soon as you test positive. Uh, but I would say certainly as soon as you start having symptoms, start taking, well, any of these early treatments as soon as possible. Uh, you know, like the, the, the new Pfizer drug, Paxlovid, or the, mono, the one monoclonal antibody infusion that actually still seems to work uh, against the Omicron variant. Like, get, if you have access to those, get those as soon as you possibly can. Uh, certainly as soon as you start to have symptoms.
0: Right, uh, right, right. And I think- and um, then the,
1: sa- the same is more or less true with fluvoxamine. Because, because it's not a direct antiviral, but it's supposed to be taming your body's immune response, it's possible that you can start it a little bit later in the course of the illness and it's still effective. But I would still, if you're gonna take one of these early treatment drugs, try to start as soon as possible that's a nasty thing about this illness because it can start with relatively mild symptoms. Right. Uh, you know, kind of like, well, I'll put up with this. Uh, it's not that bad. And then, you're, right. then you're calling, calling your doctor mm. once yeah. you start to go downhill, but by then it's going to be too late for
0: yeah. uh, most
1: of the early treatments to work. So for it anyone listening, I would say, way. I would say don't wait for your symptoms to get bad. As soon as you start to have symptoms, if you think that you're someone who would benefit from those uh, early treatments, this is particularly true for, the, for high risk people, right? People who are older uh, and or have medical conditions that are gonna put them at high risk mm-hmm. for um, serious uh, complications from COVID. Uh, get, get treatment as soon as possible.
0: In the TOGETHER trial, participants had a high risk factor Was that the case in your trial as well, or was it anybody who tested positive? Was there an age range?
1: Right, in our first uh, trial, the one that was uh, successful, we did not uh, include a risk factor. Uh, So it was, we took all comers, as long as they were symptomatic uh, and uh, had tested positive, uh, they were included in the study.
0: Well, Um, it it must feel pretty amazing that, this drug, which is really cheap, that can be scaled up anywhere, you know, and thinking beyond the U.S. in uh, other countries that have far less than we do. Um, I mean, it it seems I haven't really heard people talking about it as much, and and you know, I think I, maybe we'll start. I know that they just applied for an emergency use authorization. Um, so where where do you see? this potentially going and maybe changing how we utilize tools in the, in the pandemic.
1: Yeah. I mean, if, if, if you had told me back in March when we started on this journey, that, that we would eventually have a, you know, a cure, a meeting, a replicated uh, positive finding that the treatment worked, I would be, uh, you know, uh, pretty surprised, uh, uh, obviously not super shocked, Otherwise, we wouldn't have done the study in the first place, but I would have thought, wow, we really, you know, we really hit the bullseye on that. But if you told me, and you do that, but people still wouldn't use the drug, I would have been baffled. But of course, this is where we are now. That Ultimately, this is the problem with doing studies where you're repurposing an existing approved uh, drug that's already available as an inexpensive generic drug. No one can make any money off this.
0: That's the thing, right? <laughs> and that
1: means that no one, uh, at least no one with deep pockets, uh, has the incentive uh, to get to get out there and um, you know uh, detail every hospital in the country, every doctor in the country, uh, get a uh, a huge marketing strategy going so that it's in the news all the time uh, and it's on everyone's minds.
0: I so- was just talking to um, another physician uh, and we were talking about who has to fund these trials when you're looking at repurposed drugs, because, you know, the pharmaceutical companies have a ton of money to invest and, you know, but when it comes to these drugs, you have to so far depend on, I guess, philanthropy and maybe the government from time to time. Yeah. It's, it's not easy. So we don't, we may not even see results for some of these drugs if we don't do the, if we don't get funding for the studies.
1: Right. And in fact, we, uh, we were able to get started so fast last year because we got uh, a small amount of funding, internal funding, um, from from my department chair, and you know, and also my lab is uh, funded by NIH funding. So you know, we had exist an existing group uh, who, with a little bit more funding, we were able to uh, get out of the gates quickly uh, last year. But right. Uh, most what po- most people do is they'll put in a funding request a grant application to conduct a clinical trial and the usual process takes years before those requests actually get approved and funded so there's a real mismatch between the fast-paced nature of a of a pandemic or frankly any public health emergency and you know the way we fund research in this this country I don't know that there's a I don't know that anyone has a great answer about uh, how to fix that, but.
0: Uh, No, I mean, people want to make money at the end of the day, Uh, that's just, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know how you get around that. Um, But you think, do you you feel good about it being approved for, I guess emergency authorization or mer- yeah. Use?
1: So the emergency use authorization that's just been uh, submitted. Right. Uh, hopefully the FDA will make a positive ruling about it uh, within a few weeks, uh, and then I do think that if they do uh, approve that uh, em- that EUA, the emergency use, use authorization, uh, that approval plus the um, plus the attention garnered from that approval should lead to more use of fluvoxamine. It, it is being used. It's being used uh, throughout the country for COVID. Uh, several organizations have endorsed its uh, use, uh, including uh, our, our own hospital system here in okay. Missouri has. Um, the uh, Within Canada, the uh, province of Ontario, the largest oh, province. That. Canada has officially endorsed its use. Um, and then, you know, with a, at least in certain states in the U.S., notably Florida, there's been an official endorsement of it, its use. Uh, it would be great to uh, to see the federal government via the FDA, uh, you know, endorse its use. And I think that uh, doctors would be less reluctant to prescribe it. Mm-hmm. Uh, pharmacies would be less Confused when they get these prescriptions for ten to fifteen days of fluvoxamine, yeah, uh, uh, and um, and so there'd be few fewer barriers to its use.
0: It's it's not it's not for depression. It's for the COVID. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean that is that is that would confuse people, especially if they're just busy doing their job and not following the research as it comes in. I wanted to ask you: Are there any other medications in the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, that, that class of antidepressants that could possibly work for COVID-2, is, or is there something unique about this drug?
1: There, there are. Uh, uh, so first of all, it, it may not be this sigma-1 activity in fluvoxamine that's responsible for its uh, benefits versus COVID. It could be some other activity, like it's uh, antiplatelet activity or something like that. I mean, Our clinical trial uh, was not designed to actually prove the mechanism by which fluvoxamine worked, and most clinical trials don't and can't do that. Um, uh, So it's possible that uh, other medications like it work as well. And then there's a, a similar drug, fluoxetine, you know, popularly known as Prozac, which is, of course, very common, very widely available throughout the world. You know, it's on the uh, World Health Organization's list of essential medications. So it's available worldwide. Uh, it also activates the sigma-1 receptor. Uh, and in observational studies, now not randomized controlled trials, but in observational studies, it has seemed to show uh, a similar effect against COVID. Uh, but it's, uh, I would say it's, at least at this point, it's, uh, my recommendation be use the drug that's been proven in sure. two placebo-controlled trials. Sure you know, that's the gold standard for evidence. Has, uh, and this has met that.
0: Absolutely. Uh, has anybody uh, I don't know if this makes sense, but if somebody is taking an antidepressant now, it, would they have a protective effect? Against COVID, has anybody looked at that? Probably yeah, not. that's what so, some of
1: these observational okay. studies have done, and several have been published, which have suggested that there's a protective effect against severe COVID, and possibly a protective effect against uh, COVID illness in the first place, with uh, uh, the commonly used antidepressants, and maybe particularly uh, with uh, Prozac or fluoxetine. Um, I guess I would say this: if you, uh, if you're someone who's out there taking an antidepressants and you're wondering, hey, is this going to help me against uh, COVID? Well, it might. I would still, if you get COVID, I would still, uh, c- you know, consider your risk level and see whether you might uh, want to go get the monoclonal antibody infusion or the new uh, Pfizer drug. And then people also ask, should I change from my anti, my current antidepressant? Temporarily over to fluvoxamine during this, or even add fluvoxamine to it, and that's a really tricky question. Uh, I think that's that's only some something that I could recommend people talk to their doctor about whether it's appropriate to do that.
0: Well, that, that's really fascinating. I mean, that's uh, never people you wouldn't have thought that, like, oh wow, this antidepressant is gonna maybe protect me. From COVID. I,
1: it's, it, I, I'll, I'll speak to that. Um, uh, it is not intuitive for many people who aren't psychiatrists, but we psychiatrists know that uh, the, the properties that make these drugs good antidepressants actually make them really good uh, for these other purposes. Because they're antidepressants, that means uh, they're very highly lipophilic, which means they can get into all these different tissues of the body uh, and including in, um, in the case of fluvoxamine and these other antidepressants into lung epithelial cells quite well. So the same kind of property that makes them good antidepressants, uh, molecular property that makes them good antidepressants uh, makes them actually good to use for other reasons because they can get into your tissues quickly and uh, effectively. Uh, and, you know, the, the fact is uh, many labs all over the world are studying repurposing of antidepressants for all sorts of different uh, reasons. Uh, Alzheimer's treatment, cancer treatment, uh, other infectious diseases, um, uh, cardioprotection in certain uh, cases. So, so it's, uh, again, I think we, we think of these drugs as, oh, they're antidepressants. They just go into my brain and fixed depression, but that's not really how the, the drugs work. They go into everywhere in our body and uh, have a multitude of actions.
0: That's really interesting. Um, I mean, I also guess I, th- I feel like that's a good thing, but then I also think, well, then they might have more side effects too, that you have to consider if they can go everywhere, you know?
1: It's it, it's, it's true. And that's where we get, you know, the nausea yeah. uh, and the, the trouble with sleep, but You know, these kinds of medications, we call serotonin reuptake inhibitors, this whole Mm -hmm. class of antidepressants. They've been around a long time,
0: since the
1: late eighties, hundreds of millions of people have taken them worldwide. Uh, And, you know, in spite of these widespread uh, effects in the body are safe.
0: Safe. Do you- And generally well
1: tolerated too.
0: One last question. Earlier in my podcast, I had, a doc, I mean like a year ago, I had a doctor talk about withdrawal from uh, antidepressants and how the tapering, uh, you know, like we might, it lasts or the withdrawal symptoms might last longer than two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's
1: a great question. And so what, one of the things uh, we wondered is whether there would be a withdrawal effect from fluvoxamine if used for COVID. And the answer that we found is no. Uh, After you know this short ten to fifteen day course, you can just stop it.
0: But yeah, that's important to point out then, because I think some people were nervous about that when they first read about it. Thank you so much for your time today. That was really interesting. I learned a lot. Well, thanks Um, for
1: getting the word out. This is really important.
0: Yeah, I've been telling everybody, so I'm going to share this podcast with everybody too. Um, and they, cause they're like, Aaron, get somebody on the podcast who knows what they're talking about. So I answered their wishes. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right. And hopefully you we'll have, see, it, um, in 2022 doing good things.
1: Yeah. You have a good day and have a happy new year and let's you too. Uh, hope for uh, an end to this pandemic. So. Oh
0: gosh. I hope so. Okay. Right. <laughs> bye-bye.
1: Okay. Bye-bye.
0: All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening. To this episode of Causes or Cures on Fluvoxamine. Uh, I hope it was helpful. I hope it provided a better understanding of how this drug can be used to end the pandemic, really. So it will be interesting to see what the FDA does with that emergency use authorization application. So keep an eye out for that. Of course, I will, once I know, I'll post it on my social media feeds what the outcome is and also I think this story really highlights an important fact if something doesn't get funding it doesn't get studied it might work but you know and we might have observational studies but if no one's really willing to fund that study we won't really know and and it certainly won't pass for the evidence that they want to approve something, or to say with certainty, yes, use it. It works. So I just want to give a shout out to all of the people, the philanthropists, who actually fund these studies. You know, there's no chance that they're going to make any money if they're shown to work, if these drugs are shown to work. So I mean, great. if they didn't fund these studies, it wouldn't happen. So whether it's philanthropists, individuals, uh, organizations, um, thank you. Thank you. Because otherwise, you know, the study will not get done. All right. Um, I hope to see you around. Please share the podcast, subscribe, stick around. I know people requested somebody to come on the podcast and do this particular episode. So I was glad to find Dr. Lentz. So I do listen to you guys. So any recommendations that you have, let me know. And I promise I will try to find someone to come on and talk about it if you're interested in it. All right, I'll see you out there. Stay healthy, exercise, sleep well, meditate, and have a good day. And get a kick out of life every now and then. That helps too. Bye-bye.